listen to me. Trader, I believe that you've received the death message from our ninja empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double-crossed it. Why did you do that? I have to reform the ninja empire. That is why I took away it. That is why I took away it. The golden ninja warrior. The golden ninja warrior. You've got three days in which to return the golden ninja warrior. Right? Or else you die. What, 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 what is that? Or else you die. Go, go, go to hell. Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 15 on Golden Ninja Warrior and Def Code Ninja. And how do you handle a movie that's already been transformed into a ninja one by the original filmmakers? Well, you don't really. You just exploit Richard Harrison again. This time only for a few seconds, but exploit nonetheless. And that's the uh, sort of vague way of saying that we'll review IFD's Golden Ninja Warrior this episode. With quite little IFD present in the movie. So we'll give you all the details about that. Also, the Cornish ninja Mike Abbott takes a detour to film Mark and their desire to uh, film low-budget epic action finales. Once again, we've covered that notion before. We're going to do it again. This time it's the movie Def Code Ninja that also comes bundled with a Taiwanese female revenge movie. And as does the first, actually. So it's revenge versus revenge in different cut-and-paste packaging sounds confusing well, well we're gonna try and break it down for you as always my name is Kennedy and with me to uh, determine uh, whether IFD won this time or Filmark won this time is uh, Ed Laser of Neon Harbor so say hi buddy Konnichiwa Th- these are super Japanese movies after all with these uh, western colorful ninjas running around and everything of course H- have you encountered any of these movies before by the way Golden Ninja Warrior and Def, Def Code Ninja yes both were already in my library and I have seen Golden Ninja Warrior at least a couple of times before that. Death Code Ninja at least once before. It's good that you remember that somewhat because these movies tend to blend together as we've discussed before. Like, what was that movie again with the ninja and the Taiwanese revenge movie? Was it Filmok, IFT? Was it even a movie? It had, it had ninja in the title. Maybe a Mission or Code or Death or Kill or I don't know, whatever. It's difficult too because in other territories we got even more ninja AKAs. I think in Germany or France, the Golden Ninja Warrior has a different title and a two in the title. <laughs> it's a part two to something. Okay, splendid. Hopefully Ninja Terminator. Well, that would be the clever thing by a foreign distributor. So uh, it's not, I, I know I have the DVD, I can't see it from here. It's not literally Ninja Terminator, but maybe it's the French title for Ninja Terminator or something like that. But uh, certainly good poster art. And um, we we know, we, we, we at least know that we watched the right movie. So it's not like we ventured into the wrong one with uh, an AKA that had a similar ring to the original title. Wait a minute. No, Richard Harrison. No IFT. It's Filmark. No, I prepped wrong. <laughs> so we, we haven't to run into that trap. Not yet anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of uh, familiar mostly with Golden Ninja Warrior. I watched that for pleasure and work a couple of times and Def Code Ninja one or two times over, over the years, uh, mainly because uh, it's, a, it's a fun little um, uh, sidetrack for Mike Abbott, who normally was uh, a lead or supporting actor in um, 
at IFT, but he was allowed to uh, detour a little bit. And uh, we'll discuss uh, him and uh, those movies in a little bit. But uh, in the meantime, this is uh, the contact information and this is the Golden Ninja podcast. On the Podcast on Fire network, we are located on podcastonfire.com where you can pick shows uh, that contain chats on Hong Kong cinema, Korean cinema, Japanese cinema. Uh, we do commentaries every now and again, sleazy uh, episodes on uh, adult adult movies and uh, what have you. And we also do bonus episodes every now and again. Uh, email us if you have any questions or feedback. We would love to hear from you. Uh, if you've seen uh, Golden Ninja Warrior or Def Code Ninja or what you think of Mike Abbott, the email address is podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Join us over on social media by clicking the handy buttons at the top of our website first uh, to uh, Facebook. That will lead you to our page. And uh, while you're there, search Podcast on Fire Network and uh, you'll find our group. So you can join that one for discussion and show updates and uh, so forth. Click the Twitter button to our Twitter account and feed. The iTunes button to our iTunes feed. And if uh, while you're there, subscribe, leave a star rating and even a written comment. Uh, we would love to hear from you even about these kind of movies on iTunes and uh, that would be very much appreciated and finally stream us on Stitcher Radio the button will lead you to their website presence but uh, the best way to stream us is on the go by downloading the free applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play that's Stitcher Radio and uh, just look us up uh, either type in podcast or fire network you will probably find all shows that way or simply the Golden Ninja podcast and I write about these kind of uh, IFD and Film Monk movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. I occasionally post very, 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 very basic spoken audio video reviews over at SleazyKVideo.com. And my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. Someone who uh, doesn't do very, 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 very basic uh, re- video reviews is uh, more of a thorough video documentarian uh, is our very own Ed. So uh, Neon Harbor, uh, g- give the listeners a little insight into uh, what you do over there, over there at the site. Well, I think you give me a little bit more credit than I deserve, but... You're, you're an award-winning <laughs> video, <laughs> video maker, for heaven's sake. That says it all. Well, you can find uh, my stuff at neonharbor.com, including Deja Vu, a video series that highlights foreign ripoffs and remakes of popular American films, um, as well as Ninja the Mission Force, a comedy series inspired by the kind of shows or kind of films that we talk about here on the show. Uh, That's all at neonharbor.com, but I'm also at Facebook at facebook.com slash neonharbor and on Twitter at twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor. Cool, man. And uh, home of the Golden Ninja podcast to a degree, JJVU, as uh, Ed said, and uh, also news uh, from the past uh, regarding uh, Turkish Star Wars. You could probably track back to see uh, what the developments uh, are like. I don't think we even mentioned, but uh, you got some FaceTime on uh, on TV or at least uh, on the web via, um, via CNN, wasn't it? A few months back. Yes. Yeah, CNN's uh, Great Big Story did a piece on... Uh, the discovery of the Turkish Star Wars 35mm print. And so they uh, came out here and interviewed me for that. Excellent. Uh, it's very cool. And uh, I mentioned it because uh, people uh, might want to see it. So we'll link to it specifically. So that's the nature of plugs, my friends. But in the meantime, let's take a short uh, musical break. Uh, what's the needle drop? Well, I didn't really recognize anything, but uh, we'll pick something from the Golden Ninja Warrior uh, soundtrack. Uh, the composed soundtrack that wasn't uh, stolen at all. And uh, we'll tell you all about the movie after the break. Many thousands of years ago, the Golden Ninja Warrior statue represented the supreme power of the ninja techniques for whoever was in possession of it. 
the Golden Ninja Empire and the Red Ninja Empire both wanted to possess this statue, and they fought long and hard to win it. The Golden Ninja Empire won the statue, but the descendants of the Red Ninja Empire began to take revenge to try and regain the Golden Ninja Warrior statue. Now, we see the final outcome in the battle of the Golden Ninja Warrior. And welcome back in the first review of this episode is of Golden Ninja Warrior from 1986. They always talk about it and now here's the movie about Golden Ninja Warrior. In reality it's yet another movie about the Golden Ninja Warrior. It's not a big prequel that fills in all the gaps or anything. They were not that enthusiastic about, uh, uh, you know, they weren't artists that way. It's yet another ninja movie from IFT. Now, if if I recall correctly, um, you could sort of piece a few of the IFD films together as sort of a Golden Ninja Warrior series. You've got Ninja Terminator, you've got this one, you've got Ninja Champion, which also features the Golden Ninja Warrior, if I'm not mistaken. Let's do a super cut, Ed. <laughs> like, uh, you're a good editor, you have editing equipment. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think anyone would want to watch it. Three hours of this. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, you, you're right. Uh, certainly Ninja Terminator has a connection in this movie quite literally and uh, we'll talk of that in a little bit uh, but the first the plot from my review of the film a little extract and some commentary i suppose and the plot uh, amidst it so the original film dominates uh, detailing a golden ninja sherry's the golden sherry who is a golden ninja and her need for revenge uh, and their parallel mission which in which michael which is a very um, physical western cast member that Sort of looks like Richard Harrison for some reason. Uh, he has to bring back the gold, legendary Golden Ninja statue to China. We find that out in the middle of the film. The Golden Ninja Warrior statue connection is wafer thin at best. And Sherry uh, even has the sense uh, to ask uh, Michael, what does this statue have to do with me? Necessarily, so it's almost uh, it's almost like the movies. What does this have to do with anything? Anyway, the revenge plot also contains drug dealing, gang bosses, grungy brothels, whipping, and rape. So that's the original movie for you. And the source movie that dominates was Taiwan's Thundercat Woman from 1985, as reported in a blog post by Jesus Perez Molina that we'll link to. And this was a movie that was shot in two versions: a local one, Sans Ninjas and Nudity. And an international one with ninjas and nudity. And perhaps Joseph Lai, when picking it up for IFD and international distribution in English anyway, thought that just in case we really should put our poster boy, you know, Richard Harrison in there. So presto, footage from the finale of Ninja Terminator was recycled for this one, for the narrated opening and a special appearance by credit by Richard Harrison perhaps solidified some sales we, n- we never have these numbers obviously it's not documented that this was the big seller of 86 this was the big seller of 87 but uh, that was probably it that yeah the movie has ninjas but we have richard harrison and we treat him like dirt so <laughs> that's you're getting in there buddy at least he isn't starring it isn't starring richard harrison they, they, they keep it at a special appearance uh, without his knowledge if you will but uh, anyway that's the background we have we have some discussing uh, discussion points about how they used richard harrison in this particular movie so uh, let's do some short opinions first of all ed what do you think uh, in short about golden ninja warrior the movie it's interesting i'm and it's uh it's not terrible and maybe that's the best i can say about it what i find 
interesting is looking at the way in which ninja material is incorporated into the film, not cut and pasted the way that IFD normally did it, but still kind of wedged in um, by the original filmmakers and trying to kind of sort out how it was constructed made it a little bit more interesting and uh, uh, kept my brain going while some of the either less pleasant or less interesting uh, material was happening on screen. Yeah, that that's certainly true. I actually agree for, because it has flaws and inad- inadequacies, um, especially the original. It's not a, a grand Taiwanese time or anything, and I know that Taiwan can do better. It's overall, but in some parts, more decently fun time looking at how IFD crafted their international product uh, via dubbing mostly and how the Taiwanese filmmakers, as, as Ed said, did the same before IFD even was setting their sights on this movie. It wouldn't have been the worst idea if it had been the usual ratio, though, of, uh, you know, 15 minutes of IFD. It's it's missing some fun, and it's actually, as I said, a little bit unpleasant in parts, too. Going back to that, how they used Richard for this one, we, we have examples uh, of IFD, you know, Joseph Lyon, Godfrey Ho, shooting footage with Richard Harrison and then extending its use over more movies than agreed upon, which is crappy in itself. But uh, I wanted to ask, is it more? Is it less? Is it equal crappy to merely feature a minute of him there? Here, rather, despite, you know, the special appearance billing. They didn't go starring, they want special appearance. So what's your take on that? Is it still, is it still as bad as, uh, as when they normally recycled his footage? I would say it's not for this reason. Um, it is treated as if it is a sequel to Ninja Terminator. Now, whether they tried to market it as a sequel to a film that not many people probably cared about, uh, I couldn't tell you. But uh, it was so clearly connected to that film that it doesn't bother me that footage from the previous film um, is in the opening credits. Now, obviously, it's not really a sequel, and you never see the Golden Ninja Warrior in it, but it is treated that way, so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Compare that, however, to Ninja Champion, which also has a special appearance by Richard Harrison. I'm not sure if he's billed that way or not, but he has literally two shots where he's on the Garfield phone and handing the case over to Bruce Barron via redubbed stock footage and that one is where there's really no excuse these are the details i noticed after a while it's the usual richard is on the garfield phone obviously but uh the detail i take away from watching the footage in that movie is his uh his lean you know it's not he's not sitting straight up on the phone he's sort of leaning a little bit like he's half lying down <laughs> almost. Mm-hmm. and to see that again is so transparent uh, but uh Interesting to note, uh, you know, uh, you know, ding ding crappiness. But uh, if they would have said starring Richard Harris, and that would have been like, come on, guys. I mean, is it even a minute? He's in it, you know, and some of it is his stunt double anyway, because they feature action finale, uh, p- part of the action finale from Ninja Terminator. So it's the le- it's the less crappier. It's also a sort of a cheaper, less strenuous effort they put forth to exploit Richard ever so slightly because it's not a matter of finding 10-15 minutes of him from elsewhere this time around. It's just uh, him bowing to a golden ninja warrior and then um, putting on a mask and then Stunt Double and Philip Coe are um, you know going at it and uh, the narration goes on over it. So I don't, don't think we even hear any dialogue from... No. Richard or anything, so they, they 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 keep it super basic compared to what we've seen. But there's plenty of dubbing by his uh, his standard dubber 
in the film itself, just not as Richard Harrison. Mm-hmm. You even had a name for that dubber, which uh, impressed me. I didn't know we knew that much about uh, who. Yeah, uh, and it's it's escaped me, but um, I'm sure I could look it up. Yeah, because um, I we normally don't have that info available to us. Certainly, Hong Kong dubbers that we even know and have heard in several kung fu movies over the years. They don't necessarily get a get a name check uh, uh, over the years and all of that. Uh, it, it's curious though that they did this for Golden Ninja Warrior, uh, injected a little bit of something from before because it was not like IFD were opposed to presenting full movies. Anyway, they were distributors of complete action movies. Uh, the movie Fury in Red, which was um, the Taiwanese Miss Forty Five, that was sent out in full. Merely retitled, mm-hmm. dubbed, and they were fine with that at one point. Now, and you you might as well tell that piece of the story, they actually did uh, use that movie again and started cutting and pasting it. So uh, who, who, who did they use instead when uh, they made a cut and paste movie out of uh, Fury and Red, Girl with a Gown? Who, who was the leading uh, man at that point? Pierre Kirby. They, they took Taiwanese Miss 45 and connected it to a satanic cult plot yep slash kind of action cop movie by the way john culkin is the name of the uh the voice actor that usually dubs richard harrison uh all right so so we get into uh the exposition dump of it all it's a it's a it's a setup of the ancient nature of uh, what's the golden ninja warrior and all the clan feuds through through the years but it's not that grand obviously this is merely IFT's footage and a grungy little Taiwanese uh, movie so we, we don't get this sort of epic feel of uh, connected to the historic conflict or anything uh, they weren't shooting flashbacks to add depth and mystique and color that way uh, I mean a flashback going back 100 years or so they weren't really aiming for that and maybe not capable of it because what we merely see is the you know the camouflage ninja versus the red ninja and they both got eyeliner and that's the histor- hist- historical sort of tint to it all uh, uh, but we're reminded of the decent pace and exchange that goes on in the sword play scenes of um, of uh, the IFD action and uh, we're, we're soon into the Taiwanese movie we don't even see Kofei blow up it literally explode like it does in Ninja Terminators I was kind of ah, oh, I wanted to see that again because I think, think that image is wonderful when Richard Harrison in the foreground holding the golden ninja warrior and then Kofi goes kablooey in the background and Richard Harrison looks back, the end. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, it goes into the, the Taiwanese movie and uh, we got uh, black ninjas and red ninjas and sometimes same character switches colors. And one thing that is distracting in the action in the Taiwanese movie, and I, I don't know if you thought so throughout it, but... Their action looks competent, but it's unfortunately shot very, very poorly. It's distractingly undercranked. Did that bother you at all that they were jumping about like um, like it was a pinball pinball machine, pinball balls? These um, these ta- Taiwanese ninjas that they cut to. Yeah, it was weird. I didn't I didn't hate it, but it was clearly a case where they had the choreography down, but. They couldn't do it fast enough for it to give the necessary impact, so they just undercranked everything to speed it all up. I think its saving grace was that the choreography was pretty good, but it does feel very weird. Although, given the choice of watching it sort of slow and awkward or sped up and at least a little bit energetic, I'll take the latter. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it's 
just a shame that in 1985 you would have think that an action team would be around that could sort of set a good frame rate uh, to make it look you know on the level of IFD at least um, because it, it's a it's it's a bit of a contrast having seen the recycled footage and then cut to these uh, ninjas that were in the Taiwanese movie and hell they could even I, I wonder why they well, well I know why but it, they, they could have put the whole golden ninja narration on this first scene from the Taiwanese movie too right because it uh, you, you don't know who these ninjas are anyway so they could have done that and mm-hmm. excluded Richard Harrison of course but uh, hey they, it's a this is after all Ed, a business type of product uh, this one so you gotta get a name on the poster I suppose and uh, I think they were steering away from presenting full movies by the time they knew that ninjas equaled a bit more sales so that's why okay a little bit Richard Harrison in there and uh, the, the rest of the movie will take uh, care of our work um, for us. Mm-hmm. Oh, please let me go. I can't do it. My father will pay you money. <laughs> it was your stepmother who sold you to us. Your father can't pay. You'll have to work. But uh, it's an unpleasant movie because it's a ninja exploitation film. We have, uh, you know, this prostitution, a prostitution ring anyway, in this movie. And uh, uh, early on signs of, um, you know, torture and whipping and these grungy sort of love motel brothel settings uh you have to remember too that apparently this movie was made one way and apparently it, it excluded the nudity as well um but i i don't have that on the fort because i haven't seen the original so it might be the case that they had the nudity and the whipping and stuff in there but no ninjas but uh it is a rather unpleasant and not very effective um, exploitation movie. I mean, I'm a fan of it when it's done effectively and right, but it certainly is unpleasant and depressing seeing this, these sort of catatonic women lying still, but you see a tear running down their cheek. And uh, it's supposed to be ugly. That's a design choice. That's a correct uh, design choice. But still, what do you think? Uh, are, are there any good intentions and skill behind this particular exploitation filmmaking uh, The as you see these initial scenes, or, or what do you think of uh, the Taiwanese filmmakers? No, it's it's not, there's nothing exceptional about it. It's very straightforward and just kind of shoot shoot the stuff that's in the script, shoot what's happening. I get that this material is designed to showcase the bad guys as very bad guys, but it is overkill and it's not really a theme that is continued throughout the film so it's really just used to establish the baddies let me tell you kid Uh, you're here to get screwed uh, so don't try any nonsense all right yeah exactly so there's no there's no no poignant effect either Uh, those images that i mentioned they were at these women are just lying still and you see the tear uh, tear across their cheek i mean that's that doesn't uh, set up the entire atmosphere and feel of the movie where we connect to the drama or anything. It's just sort of exploitation, unpleasantness uh, that's done for market purposes, I suppose, as well, whether it was in the original movie as made, uh, Thundercat Woman or not. Uh, because I, I, we, we will get into it, but I just have a feeling uh, that the exploitation elements and the nudity, they don't seem shoehorned in as such. They seem part of the original edit. It's only when Sherry does her disappearing act and comes back in as a ninja in the various scenes that seems like the the element that is new so to say and right. and alternate um, because if if the whipping and all of that was alternate stuff 
that's a masterclass in editing, really, because I don't notice any jumps or any seams in that stuff. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll never know until we po- possibly unearth a, a copy of it. Uh, Sherry, is, uh, she is ninja able. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about that, I suppose, as she comes into the brothel and she says she wants to join the brothel and lo- loan some money, but she she's obviously has revenge in her crosshairs and all of that. And the undercranking continues, but we see shots of Sherry being martial arts able while not a ninja and uh, does quite okay in these sort of five on five to six versus one brawl you know she she does have some decent uh, takedowns of the stuntman and uh, this might be an undercrank but uh, then uh, the ninja transformations happen and uh, how do you feel like is it uh, is it too forced in like uh, because there was no room to actually fit the ninja ninja content in the original so if yes have- yes it's very for it's very forced in and it's you're watching uh, a fight scene and then suddenly it cuts to you know maybe maybe you have uh sherry walk backwards or something and then you cut to a hallway where suddenly she's a ninja and she's fighting them and then the ninja kind of moves off screen and then it's back to her fighting as a regular person yeah it's it's so um smooth but actually not smooth because we because it is so okay she's a ninja and for 30 seconds and then she's back fighting at sherry and that's all fine she doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like oh now she has an advantage (laughs) just because she's a ninja no she seems able uh, as this action heroine who's out for revenge and all of that so it's a rather difficult choice i suppose for the filmmakers like well insert ninjas into it how just do it okay uh, okay boss you know boss at the studio okay we'll do our best i guess and that is fun that is fun to analyze and look at you know you you, you turn on your brain for for that as you said uh, but uh, uh we, we have some more examples i suppose but uh, when you see the actress you know uh, the actress sherry as an action performer sans all of that uh, any particular pros or cons to her as an action performer versus these uh, stuntmen uh, did you did you have any spontaneous notes on her in that regard Sure. I thought she was a terrific uh, fighter, actually. Um, I would say that maybe that's worth watching the film for, or at least watching those segments for. Um, she seems very capable and competent and is probably the best fighter in the film. The, the problem is, though, that as good as she is, some of the reactions by the stuntmen really are piss poor, to be honest, because at some, mm. she doesn't look like she has martial arts as background, so she's trained for the movie and various hits and takedowns like the stuntmen just do their reactions are a bit too uh, exaggerated the, the, the power doesn't match up uh, between mm. how she performs it and they perform it sometimes and it's undercrank too so it becomes a little bit distracting yeah. but uh, it, it certainly it, it, it certainly she is a little bit of a shining star I've not seen many or maybe any other movie with her in um, watching other Taiwanese movies. So. But it, it's certainly not uh, an affecting dark, gritty world of diamond smuggling and drug smuggling and prostitution because people turn up in their own clothes, it looks like, the various henchmen. So it's it's a movie as originally made as it, to my eyes, that struggles to get key elements down and key elements aren't done well for impact these exploitation elements are sort of meh some of the action elements are good but mostly they don't look as as effective as originally made so maybe because they wanted to send it out internationally maybe that was 
why ninjas were added uh, or or do you think it could have stood on its own uh, and worked its own terms internationally sans ninjas or? no the thing about these taiwanese films and hong kong films and of, of this particular era and ilk is that they were very much a a product and not like a like a big product you know you had producers who basically wanted give me 90 minutes of film and so they would go and shoot some some movie and you'd have maybe it it seems like there were just a handful of different types you know there was the gangster movie and there was the drug smuggling movie or something and so uh or the you know get the prostitution ring or get revenge from my dead brother or something and they all kind of feel and look about the same and this one feels and looks about the same as so many that i've seen before who else would care because nobody no one would care and because uh ifd was doing good business by adding ninjas to these films that were basically all the same they were uh, this taiwanese company decided to piggyback on that formula and just from the get-go film some stuff with ninjas and then make that available yeah and and it's certainly not riding on the coattails of of uh, of a genre movie that did it exceptionally well like when john woo broke with a better tomorrow in hong kong you saw movies of that kind you saw gunplay movies you saw gangster movies some very good some watered down but thundercat woman i can't really place where that that it it's trying to ride on the coattails and uh, a, a wave of these kind of movies because we've had the social realist movie we've had the female revenge movie but that's the key word it's a, it's a thing that was not current uh, mm-hmm. mid 80s yeah. it had faded out and we we started to approach taiwan sinking its teeth into more um, dramatic fare and art house fare and those kind of filmmakers started to come out uh, edward yang ho shashan obviously they were still they were making movies at the time but it, it's it's curiously uh, detached from the effective female revenge movies that we had um and that's the thing is that is that there are standout films and and it's not to say that there were not good films coming out of taiwan in the era but for that you needed passionate filmmakers and filmmakers with stories to tell and you had that with the social realist filmmakers you had that with with other filmmakers but you i think the the rule the the majority of them were these sort of pick a b c or d and just make one of those. Here's whatever, like ten thousand dollars. Go do it. Yeah, it's, it certainly feels like that way. But regardless, any um, any favorite moments, visually, orally, meaning dubbing, uh, uh, or any uh, favorite fun depiction of weaponry, because we do get a little little ninja weaponry showcase sprinkled throughout the movie. So, uh, anything uh, anything springs to mind? Hello, Eric. It's Eagle. Goddamn golden ninja. What the hell do you mean, Eagle? Yeah, well, um, you know, one of the standout things about the film actually was um, the villain's henchman or henchwoman, rather, Sakura, who is uh, a kind of ninja brought in from Japan to kill Sherry. And uh, she has all kinds of fun weaponry that she uses, my favorite of which uh, are these throwing knives that home in on her enemy and you get those great shots that you've seen probably many times before where the weapon is kind of attached to the front of the camera and then the camera operator just runs around chasing the the hero and so you get these um, these hilarious shots of homing knives chasing after sherry it works it actually it, yeah. uh, it um, I, I can't think of any other solution really <laughs> mm-hmm. 
there's a there's a few good lines, a few good performances, uh, or or sort of well, not good, but uh, amusing performances in the film. Sherry has a great line where she confronts one of the villains and says, "I am the Death Fairy," <laughs> which I particularly liked. Uh, the one of the bad guys gets word that one of his hench people has been killed. Uh, he's on the phone. He hears what's going on. He says, "What? A ninja's dart?" <laughs> one of the other there's a lackey who at some point uh comes up to the villain and uh has discovered the identity of sherry and uh says chief chief she's golden ninja and she got so angry with me <laughs> and and that's that's ift working there sort of magic and i don't know uh, if they thought about like let's make that fun or it was just dub no, you just have guys doing voices and people making, uh, you know, writing dialogue that they that are sort of only barely coherent. But the result is magical. I, I actually like um, one of the things that stand out. I mean, you, you, you can list sometimes these things endlessly, but I won't. There's a curious and, and it's evident in the Taiwanese movie. There's a curious low budget solution to this particular scene uh, there there's obviously a police investigation going on at the same time so at one point the police arrive maybe at the uh, eagle lao and eric uh, tam's uh, house the two main bad guys and you hear a screeching car you know and well, that's a bad screeching car but you hear a car drive up and you know and uh, come to a halt and then you see the cop walking casually not out of his car but into frame and it looks like one one of those things, I think they forgot to shoot the car. So they just <laughs> so, so okay, let's just add the sound, you know, and uh, maybe footsteps and, and a door slamming or something. And then he w- walks up to the bad guys uh, smoking his pipe and stuff. And, That's funny. And at one point, uh, you know, normally the dialogue was so shrill and as delivered. So words like boss, normally bass, you know, I want to see a bass. But at yes. one but at one point someone says, I want to see your bus. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he totally said bus. Obviously he meant boss, but uh, I want to see your bus. Okay. <laughs> Let's right, go, to go, go, go to the garage. Do you need a ride home? I want to see your bus. You know, the brain registers those kind of things uh, when the movies are lacking in fun in, in stretches because it's, it's um, for the reasons we've stated. Those things uh, make you happy for a little while. But um, yeah, so the, the narrative gets uh, going uh, with uh, you know audience-pleasing, friendly elements, I suppose, even if they are for adults, you know. And, and at at this point, obviously, as as shot from the Catwoman had ninjas in them, and you that's fun, as we said, to think of how the production was concocted. Uh, you know, maybe it's a late idea to uh, inject uh, ninjas and all of that, but. It's still hard for me to look past some of the inadequacies because it's not a snappy movie necessarily. It looks rather flat and you you light up a little bit more when they do inject ninjas out in, a, in it and you start to think about, well, what was it originally? Was it merely a revenge movie originally? We, we hit upon it, but I might as well ask these two things. Like the, the, the scenes of the original versus the newly shot alternate footage is... Uh, as shoehorned in as it is, I mean, is it ever so slightly well done, at least? I mean, it doesn't jump in quality, does it? Like IFD's footage versus source movie footage did, where the print quality differs. Like, is it still seamless on that regard? Like, the look is look is the same, at the very least. Um, sure. That, my theory is that they 
did it at the same time at the at the very least oh yeah i mean it, it definitely looks like it right it kind of just looks like they shot it there and then it was designed to be excised when they made the other version do you think uh, the other richard harrison uh, michael as we will do, do you think he was even in it originally if you have any take on that that's an excellent question. Um, considering the fact that he com- he because he comes in at the end for the final uh, fight, and um, it would be interesting to see if you were able to cut around him. Uh, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I would love to find out for sure. If any of you guys out there have a copy of the film, yes, certainly that would be lovely to see because it uh, in some scenes she is attacked and uh, both turn into ninjas and they fight, 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 and then it's revealed, oh, it's Michael, it's you. But my, my gut feeling says that maybe got a larger role once they decided to international uh, make it a little bit more international but uh, it's it's certainly something that sparks my curiosity and uh, makes me look at the movie a little bit more carefully and see if where's the seams where's the seams but um it's uh, it's certainly um it, it certainly doesn't seem like it was his scenes with sherry were done later or anything it seems like it was all there within the same shoot at the very least um Mm-hmm. But but hey, if we can't find the seams, then then that certainly is a sign of a job well done, I think. Do you remember the Golden Ninja Warrior? Michael, you're just not making any sense. I'm serious, Sherry. The Red Ninja Empire is out to get it. But uh, let's um, let's just f- for my curiosity's sake. I mean, you've. Uh, uh, shot some fight action of your own uh, even if you didn't uh, shoot, shoot it literally uh, the cap being the cameraman but uh, is that a tricky thing to get done in your experience uh, of uh, film speeds or uh, frame rates right in when shooting a a fight scene or because you, you don't want to add that stuff in post-production and make it all fakey fakey or or what's your experience from ninja mission force in that regard you know the ideal is that you get the speed right get the performance right on the day, you know, I've, my stuff is extremely low budget and, um, we're do, we're working under very tight time constraints. And so we have usually a fight choreographer and then often people with very limited, uh, fight training. And so the speed just isn't quite going to happen, uh, the way that you really want it to, at least consistently. And so we tend to do that in post. Um, I mean, actually shooting it, you know, nowadays you can do anything. You can kind of like change. You can do whatever you want to in post. Um, you can't necessarily fix something, but you can change things. You know, when they were shooting this particular film, they had to decide early on, okay, these actors are not performing at the speed we want, so we're just going. We're going to specifically undercrank. You know, what I would do is I would just sort of adjust that in post. The trick, the 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 thing that you can do now is you can be very selective about. Um, which moments you want to speed up. And yeah. so you can really ride that uh, so that, you know, a punch may come faster, but the the reaction goes back to a regular speed. Or you can pinpoint that in a way that you could not have done in 1986 with an uh, Aeroflex camera. I saw something recently, it might have been today, and I've forgotten about it, where they did that very thing. It might have been a trailer I watched where a punch and an impact had a little bit of undercranking and then it was back to the frame rate they were dealing with so uh, they, they obviously do that to, to enhance impact and power sometimes doesn't look very natural but um you know it might be a case of well we've we have what we have and uh, we need impact so 
let's let's use the tools that we have. So um, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, there's uh, a few moments of comedy uh, amidst some of the weak fighting. There's a character, whoever he was, I think he was working with Sherry or the police, whoever he was, the the comedic relief of uh, Thundercat Woman, who did the Bruce Lee mannerisms, you know, the touching of the mm-hmm. nose and stuff like that. I, I didn't hate it because the, I, I wanted the movie to peak a little bit at points. You know, yes, we got the ninja stuff every now and again, but the movie was struggling to, you know, peak and you know get to a truly fun level so to have sort of a dopey comedic relief fighter with bruce lee mannerisms and maybe some on the soundtrack at least we got some but you know if they would have hinged on that like that's our guy we're gonna do 90 minutes of him that probably would have been uh, akin to unbearable you know yes there's some levity if you will okay no whipping, at least. Like, we have a guy who has fun uh, and uh, all of that. But there are some. This section in particular, the fighting is super weak. Because the guy who looks a little bit more martial arts able, but he kicks a guy who just keeps on running and running and running until he hits a wall, essentially. Like, the, like he's been kicked that powerfully. He just keeps running and running and running and then falls into a bush or a wall. And, and that's just something that undercranking can't help you with either just a weak uh weak reactions by the stunt crew granted i don't think they have many uh a lot of time a lot to to, to get this right it just feels quick you know uh get one or two takes of stuff uh, do the bruce lee marries and uh, cut print moving on we're good so you know as much as you can criticize it you can also sort of step aside and say well it doesn't look like they had all the time in the world to to get this right uh, because there, there is talent uh, as you said there's something i've been wanting to ask you where did you learn your kung fu what's that <laughs> all right all right i was only asking but uh, ca- calling it good fun doesn't feel unnatural for me to do you know i, I think it's a uh, fun primarily the entire movie because of how it was made how it was made into a golden india warrior the taiwanese movie quality is questionable there's some interesting taiwanese action as we said and thank god you know it's combined with ninja because it doesn't matter as an exploitation picture and uh, that that turns it all into decently good fun and even sherry the actors is a little bit connected uh, emotionally you know she has a crying scene after she's been horribly horribly treated there's some sexual violence in this one so she she has some acting chops in there, um, you know, a, a decent enough crying scene, which is a bit too good for this movie. Yeah, I mean, I thought generally she was quite good. It it does. So there's there's this really unpleasant um, rape scene. I don't know how you make a rape scene pleasant. So I, it's sort of an oxymoron, but uh, or a or redundant redundancy. You know, it it sort of highlights a very strange flaw when you add in ninja material as an alternate version of your film. Japan to steal the Golden Ninja Warrior statue. Oh, but why attack me? Because you're one of us. You're a Golden Ninja. But that doesn't make sense. I haven't got the Golden Ninja Warrior statue. Because this is the kind of ninja that's not just, you know, trained in Japan to do, like, throwing stars and stuff, but it's the IFD-style ninja where you can teleport and, like, make make things just appear. And yet when she's kidnapped and and tied up by the villain she can't just teleport away yeah yeah you would hope that someone would turn the exploitation tropes on their head by actually adhering to that so to say logic well let's just teleport out of this situation and then dust yourself off and then be on your merry way but um so 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 yeah it, it, it that's 
that's an ill logic, yeah, I suppose. Um, as you said, it's it's unpleasant, and it's it's the look of the movie and the sort of houses that they shoot in. They are just houses, someone's houses. It it adds to that unpleasantness in almost an actual effective way, but at the same time, it, it doesn't really have its chops to 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 be an effective exploitation, legendary ex, you know, exploitation pictures for better picture for better or worse. It's just it happens to look low budget and unpleasant because that's the means they had at their disposal, I suppose. Uh, okay, I know you guys are a bunch of no-good shitheads dealing in drugs, gambling, and prostitution, and I'm calling the cops. Shit! <laughs> Action finale in the Taiwanese movie. Here's where they go to town, because it is the finale, after all. So, any notes on the action finale set at this strange yard with these sort of uh, circular tunnel thingies that exist? Yeah, it's it's the highlight of the film. You have this great battle sequence with all of the characters fighting at the um, the Sanji UFO houses. It was a planned uh, resort so resort structure or a set of resort structures with these like UFO looking circular pod style uh, apartments, and uh, they were never finished. They were abandoned. But they were built, um, to the extent that they were built, in 1978 or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah I've seen it in at least another Taiwanese movie, uh, actually. Because, obviously, you don't forget these circular structures uh, and these uh, flying saucer-style uh, structures. So, <laughs> very cool. But, uh, so, so yeah, any any notes, highlights from, from the action finale of the 10-minute sort of uh, very packed action finale that features Sherry, the regular Sherry, and Sherry, the ninja, back and forth? Not really. It was. It's. It's a fight. It's got a lot of people fighting. It's. It's okay, but nothing really stood out as uh, as remarkable outside of the backdrop. Yes, certainly. I. I do enjoy the mixture because they, they do adhere to the fact that they've now they're now making a ninja movie. So there's teleportation from in front of to behind your opponent, like short teleportation in distance, which I enjoy. That works when you have elements like that, even if the choreography still feels weak. I mean, you can see stuntmen just waiting to be hit. <laughs> and and I'm talking to men here. The girls actually make it work very well. The uh, the actors playing the Japanese ninja or what have you. I wonder if this replaced an entirely different finale, or if this was the setting, these were the fights, but they just added, you know, some changing uh, uh, into ninja suits and then the girls all of a sudden out of ninja suits and the western character of michael um my gut feeling is that that's exactly what they did this was the yeah setting. there's there's no way i mean the, the 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 thought of them creating a different finale elsewhere and shooting more material strikes me as as preposterous for for that particular industry yeah, it's it sounds like um, not a good uh, budget solution to um, to actually shoot uh, two endings, but uh, it 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 certainly is amusing because she's chasing Eagle Lau. Uh, you know, she's fighting uh, the uh, Sakura or whatever her name was. Yeah, Sakura. And and then cut to she's out of her clothes and then chasing Eagle Lau up the uh, up the stairs and into the structures and all of that. So it it's again the this predicament that the filmmakers have. Boss said we have to insert ninjas. Where? Where on earth are we going? Okay, here's a spot for a few seconds. I guess that'll do. It, it's almost the, the theme of the movie in a way. Well, this is enough effort. That's fine. We've, per definition, d- uh, done what Boss asked us to do. And now we can sell the movie. But does it make sense? Well, who cares? At least he's happy. He's got ninjas. 
you know, it's got girls mm-hmm. and it's got ninjas, so that's uh, that's fine. So, but, but it is the highlight of the movie action wise because we got a lot of more ninja power stuff, you know, teleportation and uh, weaponry and stuff. So, um, you you're happy to to sit there and watch it for ten minutes. IFD and their music supervisor did not do a good job towards the end, by the way. Because uh, Sherry, you know, she doesn't stay for the police to interrogate her. She runs away and she stands at a cliff, uh, you know, looking at the sea and all of that. And she looks like she's contemplating death. But the music is very happy. Super happy. The movie's over. Sort of old school video gamey, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, very much so. So I'm going to insert that music for you so you'll just know how much of an ill fit it is. But uh, that, that, that amused me because... You know, we're happy. Sherry isn't. But who cares about Sherry? (laughs) Movie's over. We're happy at the end. And that's all on IFT. I I, I don't think they they took anything from the soundtrack from the original movie. Thank you very much for your help, Mr. Allen. We've managed to arrest both groups now. It's a pleasure. I can work for Interpol and do my ninja mission. At the same time, the Golden Ninja Warrior statue will get to China. But that, that, that's, the, that's the end of it. It's uh, not a grand, uh, great favorite uh, from IFD, but it's it has discussion points. And that's if, if you're interested in IFD's uh, standards and practices, if you will, then this has uh, aspects and discussion points well worth um, well worth looking at if you're a fan of Taiwanese movies well it isn't uh, reference material for sure but um, they did some interesting things behind the scenes as well so if you're interested in that then there's no harm in looking at this any other any other notes or highlights uh, from you did you did you recognize any music I believe I recognized some that uh, popped up in uh, Ninja the Protector there's a few music cues that were used there but as far as music that is specifically from something Hollywood, I did not notice anything. But what I did notice was um, we got another instance of the classic confused person asking, what's a ninja? Oh, yeah. What was the dialogue? Uh, The the girl, the the villain's mall, uh, she asks, uh, what's a ninja then, darling? And he says, never you mind. Ninja. Ninja? What's a ninja then, darling? Never you mind, he's stolen something of mine. Nice of them to uh, to vary it up, I suppose, rather than lean on uh, what they wrote previously for. And and very that aspect from Ninja the Protector is probably one of the few times where IFT sort of got the tone right, the comedic tone right. Now, what's a ninja? Yes. So I, I genuinely think that they, they were onto something there by not treating it super seriously and just have these, uh, you know, bumbling cops to a degree. Just ask, what's a ninja? It's a fairy tale. Never you mind. I was taking bets, by the way, for you to say, well, they've used the score from Dagger of Kamui again. But um, it seems like... I, you know, I only know that... I think they only used it in um, uh, Ninja Dragon. I've heard you mention it twice, so it's 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 been oh, okay. it's been somewhere else, and uh, it's an anime movie I've I've not yet seen. I mean, I'm a fan of anime. I've never so, seen it either. Yeah. I, yeah, I just I just know that it's from from that. I know it's the the main theme, and I like that music. Uh, well, as for availability, the uh, UK released Hollywood DVD. Uh, that's the label. It features quite a good-looking cropped transfer of the film. It's slightly stretched, actually. It's um, so it's ever so slightly widescreen. Uh, this was a movie originally framed 1.85, so there's no huge cropping taking place anyway. In uh, Japan, they put out a widescreen VHS in 
uh, letterboxed, but with pixelated never region nudity as per Japanese uh, censorship, and that pixelation is not in the UK version. And our good friends at the German label AVV used uh, both of these transfers for their German DVD, so you can watch it uh, widescreen, pixelated, cropped, not pixelated, and they supplied the DVD to the show. So I uh, would like to express our deepest gratitude for that and uh, that's a good uh, uh, dvd edition that sort of ticks all the boxes uh, everything you want about <laughs> for golden ninja warrior uh, uh, no retrospective documentaries or commentaries of course but at least uh, you know uh, two different versions of the film some trailers and stuff so uh, it ticks there's all. also a lot of uh, little uh, snippets from various international versions of the film uh, which are which are fun and there is uh, a an, an interview with godfrey ho uh, on there yeah, indeed. I, I remember seeing that interview years and years ago, but it was so, it's actually very poorly recorded. So at least the German audience has got German subtitles for it. They shoot it in a very, very busy restaurant in English, mm-hmm. and you can barely hear what Godfrey is saying. So it, it's a little bit low budget thing, but uh, hey, he's on camera. He is Godfrey Ho, he's not Thomas Tang, he's not he's not Joseph Lai, and uh, he's, uh, he is who he is, you know, Benny Ho or Godfrey Ho. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was Golden Ninja Warrior for you, and uh, we're going to take a break, and after that we'll review Def Code Ninja, the film arc pick for this episode starring Mike Abbott, and we'll have some um, chat about uh, Mike Abbott and his career as well. So sit tight, and we'll be back. <laughs> And welcome back in this part of the episode that concludes the episode is our section on Death Code Ninja from 1987 or well sometimes with Filmark we don't know exactly if it's 87 or 88 they never put uh, years on well we do know that this one was probably shot in 1986 because there is a note that has the date on it oh really i actually missed that so yes so i released 87 like gloriously gloriously shot uh, in 1986 this epic uh, but the plot from my review of the film and maybe some commentary in between here uh, thomas tang and company tends to complicate matters when using threads from the source movie for, to sort of fuel their own stock plot concoction but essentially mike abbott is uh, doing a deal involving a strategy map and rivalry ensues a presumed dead ninja trains for end real revenge and helping Abbott, uh, whatever his name was in this movie, I don't remember, helping Abbott accomplish his plans is the killer couple, uh, played by uh, the actress uh, and the actor from the source movie. Uh, the actress is Lu Yi Chan and her husband, uh, as part of the killer couple, is Hung Wan Pang. And they're in the original, will name that movie shortly they're named joan and richard uh, but they want out of the killer for hire game uh, he's actually put into prison but bliss awaits once he gets out they're a family now but not for long as the family is targeted and left standing is a pissed off joan so yeah that's the mixture of filmark and original taiwanese and specifically uh the killer couple have a baby have a child mm-hmm. um that uh richard doesn't get to see until he is out of jail. That's right. That's right. So it's, it is actual drama in a way. 
but they will will talk of uh, the qualities and so certainly and all of that the quality we can interpret based on the uh, context the original is placed in now now that it's deaf code ninja partly but uh, anyway uh, mike abbott uh, he was on loan from ifd or simply free to pursue work elsewhere so he jumped over to filmark for one gig but a familiar familiar gig of the cut and paste uh, ninja action kind and uh, that uh, pursuit, that uh, jumping over to Filmark, is merged with a Taiwanese revenge movie called The Imprisoned, directed by Chester Wong from 1982. And star Louis Chan, the, the, the female star, leading lady, gets plenty of chance to, chances to showcase her intensity within the framework of um, <laughs> some, you know, it's combined with some very inept fun by the Filmark crew, which is really my short opinion right there, but uh, we'll, we'll get to the review. Filmark, I, I don't think they or IFD had an agenda to do so, but they were good at finding and therefore highlighting Taiwanese social realism and female revenge via their acquisitions. Uh, because uh, that uh, genre, you know, it had, it had poignancy, but it also had genre content it was aiming to be action movies uh, you know rather than female revenge drama so you got a fair amount of you know movies with fiery eyed strong looking female performances you know out to dish out pain you know whether you had uh, louis chan in this case or actresses like elsa jung being in this movie so that's a, a valuable part of the film and ifd catalog that we got a chance to see huge glimpses of these uh, Taiwanese movies uh, because some of them aren't easy to see when they're not uh, ninja-fied, so to say. And I quite uh, quite like that. There, there, there was a pool of talent there in, in Taiwan at this time in the early 80s of uh, game female actresses. And they weren't necessarily cheap exploitation pictures either, akin to the other one we've already reviewed. Uh, they were made with the intent of revenge and violence being felt and gritty. And uh, Louis Chan was one of the ladies uh, responding well to that said attitude. Um, there is a Filmark movie that uses the starring vehicle for her called Queen Bee, which is also a revenge movie. And uh, it's one of those like Ninja 8, American Warriors of Fire, or whatever they were called. Uh, I've, I've forgotten it, but uh, you, we, we get a fair amount of um, Queen Bee footage in another Filmark uh, movie. But uh, nevertheless, Mike Abbott, let's talk a little bit about him uh, normally at IFD, but uh, this time he is our Filmark lead for one movie. And uh, we usually you know, encounter this Cornish ninja at IFD shouting, uh, you know, glorious dialogue, like, I was this close to becoming the ultimate ninja! I don't even remember what movie that is from, but it's... Uh, whether it's <laughs> yeah, I don't know, That's but I, but I remember it. It's not from the ultimate ninja, because he's not in that. Um, that's uh, Stuart Smith. But anyway, Mike Abbott was born in Cornwall, England in 1953 and has lived in Hong Kong since 1985. And uh, rather than pursue university, he did all manner of jobs um, after finishing um, uh, part of his education, including being a doorman, lifeguard, construction worker, waiter. And uh, eventually he left Cornwall in 1983 to settle in France, where he managed a restaurant uh, for a British travel company. He did a stunt in Germany, Chicago, uh, on a ship in Alaska. He spent six weeks hitchhiking in America before finally flying to Hong Kong in 1985. He was making a living using the same theme if you will doing the same things as before whether it was being a doorman a waiter even an english teacher 
And at one point he visited the Philippines and got into movies uh, by chance, I suppose, uh, playing a soldier extra in Future Hunters. See, I didn't know that because Future Hunters is one of my absolute favorites. And I had no idea that he was in that until this well, um, you wonder how visible he is, if he even gets FaceTime, necessarily. Um, That's true, probably not. It's a production that also had a T2, meaning Terminator 2, uh, fame Robert Patrick on it, as well as Australian action star of the world, really, including in Hong Kong, Richard Norton. So uh, that, that was a little uh, start. And uh, while working as a doorman, presumably back in Hong Kong, he was spotted by a casting director who liked his look and brought him on board for his first IFD film, Hitman the Cobra. Starring alongside Richard Harrison. It's a, a modern uh, modern action movie. There's no ninjas in that one. And uh, Mike, unlike Richard Harrison, enjoyed his time at IFD and continued to appear in films over um, a time of three years where he got to play soldiers, gang bosses, ninjas, and probably all four in one at one point. Uh, you know, uh, all uh, a, a massive character in one, in one, if you will. And after a few years of this particular Hong Kong field work, he got to appear in more high-profile movies, including in A Better Tomorrow for John Woo, where he takes a shotgun blast to the chest. Uh, Chai Fat shoots him in that one. It's not sensible in Hong Kong, as even if you're big, if you're a big actor, you don't need to think about this. But even if you're an actor who constantly appears in movies, it's still not sensible in Hong Kong, or was at this time, to treat acting bit acting or lead acting as the career you need to have a backup plan because this thing could could just dry up any moment and so in 1989 mike abbott formed abbott uh, leisure which is uh, a company that entertains children with uh, magic shows and uh, puppets and balloon twisting and he was even invited to appear on several kids tv shows in hong kong to presumably promote his skills and uh, which was probably <laughs> which was probably a sight for moviegoers used to the big guy doing more reprehensible stuff not for children in movies so uh, because um, <laughs> you know he's not a, he's not a small thing guy mike he was always in shape and all of that so like hey kids <laughs> let's do magic <laughs> but uh, you know he, he obviously he, he doesn't turn on that persona for for uh, for his uh, for his show uh, for his company obviously but the movie roles continued to be logged uh, even though he was uh, do, uh, forming his own company and he was a stripper in Wong Jing's The Big Score he's in David Lam's category 3 movie Hong Kong Gigolo and even mixed it with minor parts at, at his first big employer at IFD by appearing in Thunder Ninja Kids. It's a sort of a later movie I have not seen. As well as a movie called Golden Adventure and even small roles for Godfrey Ho in Godfrey's post-IFD career when he made these Girls with Guns movies such as Angel Enforcers and Princess Madam. I remember Princess Madam quite uh, distinctly. He's uh, someone who turns up at, at, at the docks, uh, which is the sea, uh, setting for a gunplay scene. But uh, it's all, those Godfrey Home movies, if you haven't seen them, uh, Angel Enforcers, Princess Madam, all very solid stuff uh, in terms of quality. It's sort of what you could expect from this time when all those... Moon Lee movies came out and all those Yukari Oshima movies came out after the success of Angel and Godfrey certainly made his mark doing these movies nice no I've only I've only seen his um, American uh, films post IFD yeah which is a sight to behold as well in a way <laughs> uh, but uh, Mike Abbott can be also uh, can also be seen and maybe the scene that probably people remember mostly but maybe not 
because of him, but he's in it. Uh, he's holding the little actress Chan Chuk Yan out of the window of a moving car in Andrew Cam's brutal classic action of Fatal Termination. Which, because he's a he's an evil bad guy, and he holds the girl by her hair, and uh, they drive drive the car away. And Moon Lee jumps on the hood of the car, trying to save her daughter, and it's a, a splendid scene. Looks dangerous. Reportedly, action director Ridley Choi said that it wasn't made on the reckless side, despite looking like it. And I mean, she was probably suspended by a wire, but her feet are very close to the asphalt. And even though it might be undercranked to a degree, I I think like if those feet would have touched the asphalt that would have been some serious scraping business uh i don't know if you've seen the scene in question or the movie in question by the way no i haven't very good very good movie if you can find it otherwise i'll, I'll set it up uh, for you because it's a dark dark ass hong kong action movie uh philip ko is in it in one of his great um villain roles and uh, you can see mike abbott very wide-eyed mike abbott <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's not a subtle performance you know but um, in terms of his further appearances, Mike Abbott uh, did uh, various TV ads in China and Taiwan and Hong Kong. And uh, towards the end of his movie career, he played one of the terrorists in Wong Jing's anime adaptation City Hunter, starring alongside Jackie Chan, Richard Norton, Gary Daniels, Joey Wong and Ching Miao. And Mike recalls his City Hunter experience as his best as an actor. But following this film, he retired uh, from acting to focus more on his uh, company. It uh, For a few years that was the case, but he had a little bit of a resurgence at the end of the 90s, appearing in Enter the Eagles, which was a vehicle for Bruce Lee's daughter Shannon. And I really, really like that movie. It's, uh, it's also known as And Now You're Dead. That's the international <laughs> title. It's <laughs> a great name. But anyway, it's a good movie, and for, 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 um, for, for Shannon it actually works out quite well. And he's also um, uh, the adoptive and abusive father of Daniel Wu's character in... Uh, the action drama Purple Storm, which is a very good movie. And uh, Mike once told our friend Jesus Perez Molina that he only really started to, to consider himself as an actor when he did a variety of Indonesian movies. But by the time when he started to sort of look that, or at his career and sort of appreciating it, I suppose, and that there was a following, he had already begun to develop his own company and considered the film career as just a secondary income. But um, so he found out way later that he was quite popular in maybe cult circles, if you will, and, you know, 25 years later. Uh, so he wasn't the intent on relaunching himself at that point. Uh, and, and that company is still, is still ongoing. And he's also a certified fitness trainer, a travel photographer with several exhibitions uh, under his belt. So um, I think he's, you know, he's set. And there's uh, some quotes from the ultimate ninja candidate, if you will, about making movies for IFT and Filmark. He, he did um, an interview for the youtube channel uh, shitcase cinema so uh, that's where i took that from uh, so quote i never took them the movies that is as being great in the first place i quickly forgot about them and it was only later that i uh, caught up uh, you know in recent years i was cast as a villain due to my size i was uh, six foot uh, back then 212 215 pounds and i i didn't look sinister but that didn't bother them the casting people they wanted size and you turn up on the day for you uh, to shoot your scenes you get a paragraph of the script shortly before and that's it uh, so he, he sort of jokingly says that couldn't you have given me at least a day heads up rather than a minute heads up in terms of my dialogue but um, so therefore he could only put forth the effort that was logically possible in that moment like here's your character and your arc <laughs> go be go act now act act more act bigger 
we'll um, talk a little bit more about Mike uh, in the review and I've already done my brief opinion I think Def Code Ninja is very fun but uh, what is uh, your opinion in short of this uh, this movie you know I found it unremarkable really um, it's kind of a felt kind of like a, a B-Squad uh, IFD or Filmark movie which is always fair but I, I think there's some, some joyously hokey things based on inadequacy mind you but that i still take away from it i actually have quite a lot of fun watching this and uh, and the taiwanese movie is the scenes that we can see and the context that we get here looks okay and she comes off as okay as well louis chan that is it's very dangerous for them to have copy of asian star wars strategy map of course the map must never get into their hands we know what to do the the problem though is Mike is not uh, dubbing himself, uh, which always saddens me a little bit because you'd want to hear that uh, very distinctive uh, Cornwall dialect. But uh, alas, no. Uh, and he, he doesn't look like he's given much direction, so he looks a bit awkward acting, but still, it's Mike Abbott in a film movie. I'm, I'm happy enough. But I wanted to ask you, we mentioned it briefly uh, in, the, in the bio, but from your perspective, do, do you think Mike understood the work and... Uh, the market possibilities the limitations of the work even i mean does it show up on screen his um in his work you know that's that he could have fun with this material uh you know if he gets the script a minute before like he still provided you know as much skill as he could and uh, had an aura of uh, fun in his performance uh, style if you will that may be true in some of his other films um and perhaps primarily his ifd films but i don't know that he does enough here to make that clear. I'm not sure that he even has enough screen time in order to really show that or showcase that. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm asking in a, in a general sense, actually, if you think back on those uh, IFD performances that were a bit bigger, if uh, if it seems like he, he got and understood what the limitations were here and uh, and, and that he did project fun in, in other performances. Yeah, I think so. And, and and I agree. I mean, if you if you have that delivery under your no, uh, on, in your filmography, I was this close to becoming the ultimate ninja, then it seems like you're you're on board for at least that moment. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you go into these movies, and I think that no one ever thought that these were going to be anything big. They're just a job, so you do what you can with them. You have fun with them if you feel like having fun with them. Otherwise, you just kind of uh, punch your time card. But uh, I think he was more on the like eh, carefree kind of side. Uh, we've talked Filmark's efforts of uh, inserting themselves into the original movie. They, they put forth some of that here and almost split-second efforts uh, sometimes. Uh, there's a scene early on where Mike is telling three people in, um, you know, what's going on, you know, blah, 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 blah. They walk away from him. They, he says something to them. They're like, hey, guys, they turn to him. But that's a cut to three actors in similar-looking suits from the original movie, albeit it's a pitch black background. So it's an editorial effort that kind of makes sense, but the setting doesn't match because he is in a lit office and they cut to them turning back to him, so to say. But they're somewhere where it, the lights are out, essentially. It's very quick, Ed. It's very quick. So it's, we, I mean, the, the insert stuff is very weak in this one. Yes. There's a couple of scenes with Abbott at a table. It's a room that does not match the other shots they don't try very hard to make it match there is 
uh, one shot where there's, there's one sequence where there's a big brawl happening in a house and we cut to a Caucasian guy at the top of the stairs looking down, watching the fight, which is sort of akin to the ninjas popping up places and, and watching. But I mean, there, this wasn't even like a guy behind the copier level of matching. It just it was sort of like, uh, it's been a while. So here, here's a shot of a white guy. Yeah, it's, it's it's standard stuff, if anything. And then you're right, those initial scenes where Mike is supposed to be sitting at the t- same table as the uh, Taiwanese cast members, that, that is weak because they don't match the background very well. They do an attempt later on in the same setting of a background uh, behind Mike, but uh, otherwise it is rather weak. And, and, and that example I mentioned, it, it's almost like why bother if it's going to be so quick? Were, were there no backpacking westerners available to play these three guys in these mm-hmm. particular set of suits? But uh, hey. the the only other worthwhile um, insert was the one of Mike Abbott's Caucasian uh, henchmen who kidnaps the main hero from the other movies, Child. Presumably, it's somebody else that kidnaps him, but they they cut it so that they have. Uh, this white guy with a giant bottle that says chloroform on it. <laughs> and he puts some of that on a rag, uh, walks off camera. They're all at a park. The kids like yeah. playing at a park and the parents are sitting on a bench and not, and they're talking to each other and there's other kids at the park. And we see this guy with the chloroform walk off camera or walk off screen. And then it cuts to the heroes looking around saying, where's our kid? And that's, that's the kidnap where I assume that probably it's a little bit more elaborate in the original cut because it's somebody else there's some valiant but failed attempts at um some car crash action courtesy of uh, filmock and i gotta say that this scene is entirely fun because there there's a scene at you know it's not in the city or anything it's in a field and they're they're driving they're driving and they they crash ever so slightly into uh, a barrier of some kind but the puppets that fly out of the car and the speed of the puppet that fly, flies out of the car is absolutely wonderful because the speed doesn't match up in terms of how severe the crash is. But the guy just mm-hmm. shoots out like a torpedo uh, or, or, <laughs> or a puppet robber, obviously. It's not a guy. And this whole scene, man, I think is made me happy enough for about 30, 40 minutes. There, there's something here in terms of that stunt and also that the ninjas ditch their ninja friend. <laughs> Yeah, the guy comes running running after because the, the the ninjas start off in this in this uh, van. You've got a van full of ninjas, which already I'm sold. Uh, and then eventually they kind of grab the this car as well and drive off in the car. No, no teleportation, mind you. They, no, no, they, 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 these are modern times. People, that's right. You need a car. They they might be like they might be new recruits, so they don't have the teleportation powers yet. I don't know, but uh, yeah, they leave one of their friends behind, and he's like, "Hey, guys, wait for me." And uh, runs after them and then leaps onto the top of the car and rides the top of the car. Yeah, because they, they, they turn back. They realize there's another guy. There's still one left, which is our other lead, who doesn't appear very much. You know, if anything, that, that is the second lead. I have no idea who he is. And he appears, occasion, appears occasionally because he wants revenge on Mike Abbott. But that stunt work is actually pretty good. Um, the, the stuntman has to hold on quite tight, as they call car swirls and turns and all of that and uh, there's a decent enough perspective trampoline shot as uh, one ninja kicks I guess that ninja off the car or, or is about to kick him off the car 
and they 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 don't do it um from behind so you see the car coming at us but it's a perspective shot shot from the side so those techniques perfectly fine and there's some proper actually frame rate and film speed in the fight choreography i mean it's not standout choreography but after golden ninja warrior it's one of those things that okay some people get it uh, you know they knew frames and uh and, and it, it's capped off by they're clearly beginner ninjas so you're probably right because they they see the, they think they got him because he falls off a cliff but they look at a clearly limp uh, it, it's evidently a limp puppet falling off the cliff and they make the determination that we got him we got him he's dead now and the guy is just hi- hiding you know in a little cave beneath uh, beneath the thing there and i thought that was a scene that ticked all the sort of uh, i had fun with it i really did uh, uh, there was an amusing tone to it even if it's inept filmmaking oh yeah i wish i wish the rest of the movie lived up to that certainly i think it is is one of the better better scenes uh, so um uh, and it's linked through you know talks of a killer couple uh who's instrumental to completing the task uh, but um you know of uh, collecting a name list and all of that it's not enough that the map was photographed or whatever it's a quite a confusing confusing plot but that's what they do and then cut to the taiwanese movie that way and you see this killer couple probably being killers uh, for hire uh, to some degree you know not truly bad characters but killer for hires in this particular cinematic world and uh, that's great the task now remains to be completed by the killer couple it, it's not sold on sex appeal but in a way it is because uh, she has you know she's dressed all in leather but it's not um, cleavage and stuff uh, and her boobs almost popping out of the leather or anything so it, it's a stylistic choice in a way and not cheap uh, sort of uh, look at her she's sort of sexy and she can kill people too uh, because i in all in all honesty i think taiwanese filmmakers were after selling these movies on sort of fury and intensity rather than sex appeal i'm sure there's probably a film out there from that era called uh, fury and intensity if it wasn't a missed opportunity so maybe i should get get into the filmmaking game and uh, that's all i'm saying make that title <laughs> my own I like some of the cinematography in the Taiwanese movie. Um, there's some they they have an intent on playing with contrasts, so p- people appearing out of darkness and walking into white light. Essentially, you know, the, the contrast between white and black in the cinematography. And uh, maybe it's just because I'm comparing with Golden Ninja Warrior and Thundercat Woman, but I think there is decent technical filmmaking here, while not John Woo style gunplay. The, the gritty d- gunplay that we see evidence of here is timed fairly well. And it amps the ugly violence and the nature of ugly violence a little bit. So I, I really like that atmosphere, even though I can see the Taiwanese film is not reference material. But I certainly appreciate the atmosphere that they attempt here, technically. Any uh, thing that you extracted from it, uh, from the Taiwanese movie in that regard, technically, or in terms of violence, anything that appealed to you in that regard? You know, I mean, nothing that stood out to me, and that was really kind of what I took away from it, is that it was kind of un- unremarkable. But I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that it, that it, uh, it struck you a little bit better. They're low-budget movies, in a way, and I always thought that they, they were able to squeeze, you know, technical chops out of low budgets uh, fairly well. They were, they were they were competent and sort of confident at this time in 1982. We, we, we talked about how Filmark are cutting themselves into the movie and uh, I guess that never really 
never really becomes uh, on the level of Clash of the Ninja that we talked of um, an episode or two ago, where we don't really know exactly where Filmark are placing themselves and where the original is taking place or where the original starts and ends. So, so, so is this the kind of Filmark cut and paste movie where it's too evident and too inept to to sort of uh, become effective as you know the, the illusion isn't one is what i'm asking right yeah i mean there's there's no chance i mean basically you have an entire movie that plays just fine on its own and then every so often every great length of time uh, we get a little bit of something else and the only real difference is that you've got some ninjas who are after a uh, a map of the of the star wars program like the laser satellites or whatever they deal in big things, man. These ninjas. That's right. As enga- unengaging as Mike Abbott there might look, and the dubbing certainly doesn't elevate it, I do think it almost comes all the way around and adds to his character. Where he talks to the other movie, in this case he talks to uh, the uh, the male lead, Hung uh, Wampang, I believe, and he's talking in a very flat way where it almost becomes like fake sincere you know i'm sorry that you're quitting you know well if you want to well, he, he doesn't say the following but it's almost akin to it would have been a shame if something happened to you so uh-huh, i sort right. of quit like maybe there's an accident that will happen i'm sorry that you're gonna quit you've been really helpful to me is it because of the child you're gonna leave yes i've led a bad life i i understand how you feel where are you going to stay? I enjoy that. It's completely unintentional. Obviously, they weren't aiming for that effect. It's just what I took away from from it. Uh, having fun and sort of uh, trying to justify the inept uh, <laughs> stretches, I suppose. I don't know. Well, it doesn't help that you know exactly where that's going, whether he says the line sincerely or not. Do, do you have any take, by the way, uh, what the plotting was in the Source movie based on the evidence we get here? I mean, we see about 70-80% of the Source movie, I suppose. Um, because you know how IFD and Filmark, how they altered the plots, and sometimes that they didn't alter them. They sort of just inserted keywords here and there. So uh, any take on that? Yeah, this is one where they clearly did almost nothing to the original film. The only exception being that uh, there's some question about what maybe happened to the hero's kid in the original. He's certainly killed, but in this version, they try to make it appear as if the somebody from the other plot uh, kidnapped and killed him and is trying to cause some conflict between some of the, the warring gangs in you know movie a i i think so too there, there, there's barely any redo here the only scene where filmark took out the intent well almost took out the intent of the actual scene is the visit by louis chan in jail to her husband which is uh has music on it merely music on it in filmark but clearly because you can see it there was dialogue in that scene. This was a dialogue scene in the original edit. And in this, here they just sort of, they want to portray it as them, them having longing looks at each other, but you can see her talking to him as well, with the bars between them and stuff like that. So it's one of the only scenes where they truly just stripped what was there in the original and uh, tried to create something new. I don't know, but they, it, it, it runs too long. And and when you can see they're actually having dialogue, you, you realize that that was the case um, originally. 
you tend to forget that this movie has two filmog leads because our <laughs> I call him is a white guy, but his hair is big, man. It looks like he as you see him training, setting himself up for the final fight later on, his hair looks like it's it's half an afro almost. This white guy has, and he's uh, he has his arm in a sling, and he's practicing his iron finger technique. Um, you know, by by pushing his finger into into the bowl of pe- um, pebbles and stuff like that, which is a kung fu trope. But that guy, Ed, lo- he has some serious crazy eyes as he does that does that technique you know and his his, his uh, chest hair is um <laughs> it stands out stands out in the scene as well there's like two two big clumps of hair uh, on, on his chest he's not in the movie a lot they cut to him about a few seconds here and there before the finale so well that's the thing is that he's uh they only ever show him he's he's ostensibly the the caucasian hero and uh he has a nickname he works for the cia and he's called the great white shark i never even heard that in a movie i'm sorry like, yeah. <laughs> yeah then he's just sort of out of the plot but we cut to him a couple of times where he's punching sand the hero the hero of the other movie is arrested and his son grows up with his wife and then we cut to the hero punching sand some more and i'm like he's been punching sand for 12 years it's, it's a ninja commandment style epicness here yeah, <laughs> but it the, the cuts are so it's almost like film. Like, oh, oh, oh! We had another guy. Uh, have we have have we got a few seconds of him punching the sand? Good, insert it here, and then back to the other movie. If we had any dialogue, I've I've forgotten about it. It seems like it's almost a silent part, uh, which mm-hmm. which makes it a curious little co-lead notion going on here. Uh, but but I I love his look. He looks crazy. He, he definitely he definitely I think corresponds to. The direction that maybe the film art guy gave him. You know, we can't see you acting. More acting. <laughs> more, more acting. Because <laughs> his eyes are, okay, well, let me, let me just make them, my eyes look very bug-eyed and let's go. Let me ask you, any moment or moments that stick with you uh, in uh, film uh, scenes as their scenes begin to mount, uh, amount? Any moments of dubbing, filmmaking or lack of filmmaking, if you will? Yeah, well, let's see. There's uh, there's one bit where the uh, the KGB calls uh, Mike Abbott. Is it Mike Abbott that he calls, or or somebody from another from the other film? I can't remember. It's a phone call from uh, ostensibly the KGB, but it's clearly a bunch of uh, Hong Kong actors, including uh, Kong Do, who's always yeah. al- almost always uh, in the, these IFD and film mock movies. And uh, he says something like ridiculous like uh you're not allowed to meddle in the asian star wars program or else i'll be forced to use my ninjutsu on you it's we'll we'll play it obviously sir because i I can't do it justice but it's one of the only examples i've I've, I've never heard a ninja threat in a movie before uh as mike abbott sort of lifelessly performing that i'll use he doesn't say this but essentially it's i'll use my powers if you don't stop teasing me which kong do starts to do like oh asians asians running around slashing each other ha 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 yeah big whoop like okay you asked for it you'd better give up otherwise you'll regret it (laughs) is that so man (laughs) we're the kgb from moscow (laughs) i'll warn you whoever you are you're not allowed to meddle in the dealing of the asian star wars strategy map see to it and don't push me otherwise i'll use ninjutsu to deal with you Ninjutsu, you say, okay. Asians running around with swords, slashing each other. <laughs> okay, you asked for it. Which is as about 
as uh, similar of a uh, of a engaging performance as, as Mike Capel performs in this scene. Like, he's on the phone, and you guys asked for it by click. So it's not like you son of a bitch, I'll get you. Not even that. But guys were mean to me. I'm gonna show you ninjutsu. Along along similar lines of uh, of threats and intimidation, uh, there's a scene late in the film where uh, the the heroine. Um, is looking for information, you know, her husband and son are dead and now he wants to find out who's, now she wants to find out who's responsible and so she goes to some former acquaintance who doesn't quite realize that she was one of the famous former assassins Um, and so he's not really interested in giving her advice Uh, so she comes up to him and she says, did you ever hear of the killer couple? The couple who worked together? And suddenly he goes, oh my god, (laughs) the couple who worked together? (laughs) couples do that <laughs> yeah, like, well i think maybe all right i'm gonna i'm gonna hope that that did not translate very well but the other great ifd moment it's not really a moment but it's uh, an amazing bit of an unintentional costuming because uh one of the uh one of the baddies is uh it looks like um uh jonathan isgar yep, or something. he's in he's it got he's the, in it all right yeah check out his pants because he has these sweatpants, which say along the side of them. And remember, he's, I think, supposed to be a Russian agent. His pants say something or other surf instructor in enormous letters. <laughs> well, he turned up in his own clothes probably that day. Oh, yeah, of course. And, but I just I, I love the idea of, of a Russian agent as like pretending to be what, a, a, a beach bum in, uh, in Hong Kong? Sure, why not? It's this scene in daylight, too. It's a daylight uh, ninja attack. And I guess that sort of makes sense in terms of the color of uh, ninja outfit that Mike Abbott's character chooses because it's a yellow uh, colored uh, ninja in, in daylight, you know. So maybe that makes a bit more sense. But um, I, I I enjoyed this, uh, enjoyed him sort of trying to, you know, they're, they're trying to find out where he is, uh, where he's sneaking around, and they, they all huddle together with their automatic machine guns. Uh, Jonathan Iskar, Kong Do, and uh, whoever the third guy was in the uh, in the glasses. Uh, that guy, by the way, you can see when he handles the automatic machine gun that he's uh, totally sort of sort of scared of it because <laughs> he 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 shoots and he's sort of he's shooting upwards after a while, uh, like it has a major kick mm. to it. I would do the same, obviously. I would probably <laughs> fall. I would probably fall over. Even uh, shooting prop guns, but um, yeah, it, it, it's an amusing uh, little daylight uh, scene, and uh, it's, it's probably the same scene where you can see Mike Abbott's character slowly walk across the frame. Slowly, he's walking, 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 taking his time, and the camera lingers on this. It's a good twenty seconds of him slowly walking across the frame after he's taken mm. out these guys. So it's just guys, guys, speed it up, speed it up. We're do- you're done. You're done. No. You're done. Now cut to <laughs> cut to the Taiwanese movie, and they do because, and and I mean, what I can extract also further from the Taiwanese movie, it's a standard drama and even melodrama about past grudges. You know, the, the husband can't let go of grudges in and their past life. He can't move forward, so that, that creates melodrama, but it also needs to create a violent edge. And I think. There is competence there in in creating violent, a violent edge and a gritty aura. I really do. And what did you extract from the Taiwanese movie as you see some of the more, as you see sort of the revenge angles start to manifest itself more clearly as you see her sort of gearing up and her sort of intensity gearing up too. And uh, we're going to kick into that. Was that at all compelling based on 
the context of it within Def Code Ninja to see uh, the Taiwanese movie this way. Inspector, he's as guilty as hell. He just confessed. I think you're right by calling it competent. I'm not sure that I would call it compelling. The, the, the sort of key scene involving her, you might decide upon, okay, I like this woman, she has intensity to spare. It's probably, and or maybe you won't, it's probably the scene where it, it's the... It's the physical harm gambling scene, if you will, mm-hmm. involving, involving the big die. They set this uh, dice game up, I suppose, where yeah, a big-ass dice that they spin, and uh, whoever gets the highest number uh, wins, and whoever gets the lowest uh, gets to perform physical harm on his or herself. And uh, that certainly happens. And she is mostly on the losing end of this. Again, it's not the full context of the Ta- Taiwanese movie, but I actually think she comes off as very compelling and intense in this sequence but she is a character that's at least filled up with rage now wants revenge so she doesn't buckle easily necessarily because she harms herself quite intensely the only thing that sort of negates this scene and makes it less compelling is the fact that she is performing this uh, gambling setup uh, versus a maniacally laughing villain so that is a trope that doesn't add to gritty intensity. It's sort of just, oh man, couldn't you couldn't you just have shut up and be a bit more of an intense villain rather than a <laughs> type of villain? The thing about that scene is that for me, she ends up she comes across looking like a dope because she doesn't. They don't roll the dice; they spin the dice, which means they put it up on a corner and spin it, which means that. You only are going to get one of a few of the sides that are sort of on the upward facing side, which means that if you're not if you're not paying attention, you could get whatever. And if you are paying attention, you can kind of put it in your favor. Yes. Uh, so that's one thing. It's sort of the thing that where they were like, well, visually, this looks cool. So this is the way that we're going to show it. It's ridiculous. The second thing is that the bad guy makes no promises as to what he's going to do to himself should he lose. And so when he does finally lose, he's like nope doing nothing anyway take her away and i thought well yeah of course surely you've got a brain as well as a blade okay shall we make a bet then that sounds fine to me let's start the dice i'll throw first going for the highest score all right Right. Well, yeah, I, I I agree on that because I, I I didn't find him compelling as a villain necessarily. It was just standard and sort of adhering to tropes. And I get what you're saying, but maybe she's thinking that well, it's going to be either or. Either it's going to be honorable and uh, have some kind of ethics, or it's going to mess mess me up totally and make me mess myself up, which uh, she sort of uh, is at at the end. I mean, uh, it's not the last scene of the movie, so she's going to perform more action. Granted, but uh, you know, maybe it's that. But I totally hear what you're saying because it seems like she's walking into a losing scenario pretty evidently and easily. Speaking of that uh, fight action, because she she performs quite a bit, a lot of uh, not just gunplay or barely any gunplay, I think, but a lot of uh, knife fighting and uh, brawling versus uh, stuntmen and what have you. So uh, during the back end of the of the movie, did you take any way, anything away from that in terms of her and general choreography as uh, the movie starts to uh, approach its ending? Well, I think your use of the word brawling is uh, a good one. It's an accurate one. Uh, I don't know that the movie elevates the fighting beyond brawling, uh, which is part of what I think made it not especially interesting to me. 
I, I could definitely see a, a fair amount of inter, uh, like in intricate choreography that needed well game performance but the performance with timing because there's a lot of uh, extensive stuff here and not just short bursts of choreography and i think uh, as the movie rolls along and she's into revenge mode and, and again in her leather suit those are the most compelling uh, action beats involving her where I, I think i i gained a lot of respect for her as she performs because i i don't think she's a martial arts actress so this is uh not upper um this is not her default skill or anything that's the way <laughs> beat the hell out of him he doesn't deserve to live <laughs> in in all honesty i think it's a uh, they are rather compelling and uh decently brutal sequences and even when they mix it up a little bit with gunplay these loud one shot two shot uh gunplay sequences where it's supposed to be violent rather than balletic that is um quite uh quite compelling to me but within all of that you maybe not around this time but it did this is the way the movie operates though you can get a compelling sequence like that and then 10 seconds of uh, hitting sand training again and then back to whatever part of the story the taiwanese movie was in at that point so it's almost like hey i was watching a movie <laughs> who who switched the channel because we spend such an amount of time with the imprisoned that I got into the groove of watching The Imprisoned after a while. And to just have a few seconds of training glimpse is sort of like, hey, hey, get me back to it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm back into my movie now. Um, so so I, I think um, I would I would love to see the, the full movie, but, but I think I, I have a decent grasp of uh, that it does its revenge thing dependently and competently, and she has a few standout sequences as a drama it will probably be rather standard if I get a chance to watch it in Mandarin and subtitles. Uh, but uh, there's a f- there's a few intense uh, beats that I take away from it that is uh, technically uh, quite um, skilled as well. I think you should handle this, Bill. There's no need for me to get too openly involved in this case. It looks bad. Then the film arc finale happens. And to again set up some context uh, that we've talked about before we've talked about how ifd and filmox sometimes approach action finales that that approach is sometimes different so would you say what we get for the filmox action finale is it the usual ifd style of a very short one two minute finale and then the end or does filmox try a big conceptual ending here it's bigger than your your average ifd death list kind of film where they're trying to just check all the boxes but um the style is very ifd it has kind of all of the hallmarks of uh of ifd if you know you've got the colored ninjas obviously but then you've also got the sort of funky uh weapons and so forth yeah they they place the weapons beforehand uh, in strategic places in this uh, in this outdoor setting you know they set they they, they set up the finale for once you know yeah Mike is, uh, at one point, by the way, it's one of my favorite moments with Mike, and, and bless him, because at one point, even in the ninja outfit, he is uh, performing some martial arts himself. And they're in the same field as they were before with Jonathan Iskar in his pants, where he's sort of clumsily beating up his fellow henchmen, you know, because he can't kick very high, so he sort of just kicks them in the butt, I suppose. And it looks like 
the lowest form of ninjutsu, but he's supposed to be at the <laughs> highest level of ninjutsu because he's the... He, well, he is. They, they really should have thought of... If they wanted to do a scene like that, come on, bring in a stunt double, for heaven's sake, to make that beat down, you know, beat down and throw down. A little bit more like, oh my god, this guy's got the goods. But no, it's just like... Boom, I kicked you in the butt because they teased me about my ninjutsu early in the yeah. movie. <laughs> there's a western, uh, meaning a wild west uh, content here. Like there's a dog there for ambience. You could see that sometimes in the Leone movies and then that dog runs away. And it's, cer- it's certainly novel that the dog comes back and uh, it looks like the ninja's like hiding in a b- blue barrel that's sort of inexplicably there. But it turns out that it's uh, the dog is back and he's hiding in the barrel. And then the ninja jumps out of the other barrel. That was a that was a diversion and a half that I actually enjoyed because um, they, they, it doesn't make sense the sequence when he he thinks nope. the ninja is in the barrel, the dog is in the barrel, the barrel is empty, it's hollow because it uh, rolls a little bit, so there's not the weight of a human in there too. But no, the ninja is in there too. I, I enjoyed it, but it's like come on, we saw what you did there, but you didn't do it necessarily logically well. But hey. We're dealing with ninjas here and explosive arrows and stuff like that. So there's uh, an amusing use of um, a leafy tree branch as a weapon. I thought that was nice. And and it, and it goes on for a while. I mean, they 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 might not have the technical chops to execute everything like that, but they they try. They try. They 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 try with playing with pyrotechnics. Yeah, Mike Abbott does some very uh, strange um, headbutt attacks. Like he suddenly thinks that he's a rhinoceros. Yes. <laughs> and one thing that I wonder if you noticed uh, because uh, again we have the unnamed uh, second leading man here um, you know it's there the shark exactly whatever his name is i don't remember his name from the credits but did you notice that um, that guy doesn't participate a lot in the action finale but it's not because he's doubled by a uh, chinese uh, stuntman all the time because i have a theory that there's someone else we know behind that mask oh really I think it looks like Stuart Smith. Huh. Interesting. Interesting uh, conspiracy theory. Yes, uh, let's leave it at that as a conspiracy theory because for 60% of it, I think... I I, I recognize those eyes, man. I, I've seen those eyes before and I sort of jerked in, in my seat like, hey, where did the guy go? <laughs> okay, Stuart Smith is here now. Okay, he was apparently on standby. That's funny. Watch it again. Like the beginning of it... Maybe the original guy, middle of it, for the scenes um, that doesn't involve, like, in, involved um, or, or advanced acrobatics. It looks like Stuart Smith, and the guy comes back by the end. I might be totally wrong, but it's someone else, though. It's not the same guy, though. So it's almost like the guy either didn't show up on time or uh, walked off for a little while, and then they convinced him. He's like, hey. I'm, not, I'm not fighting. Forget this. So, But do you you have a contract. Okay, I'll come back and finish off the movie then. And that's... Yeah, that's right. So who knows what went on there. Yeah, it's the end of my notes. I think it's... Uh, it's I've seen more splendid sort of film arc action finales. The, the one in Shadow Killer's Tiger Force uh, springs to mind with the heat-seeking missile that follows around Wayne Archer. I, I also have a good chuckle, and uh, I, I liked up a little bit... Uh, knowing that uh, they didn't phone it in by just having a, a couple of sword sword exchanges and then a slow motion end move and the end. I'm, I'm, I'm also enjoyed that. Uh, I always enjoy when they do at least five minutes of, uh, of action finale stuff. And uh, that's what we got here. And it's worth pointing out that uh, there's some stuff with uh, explosive tipped arrows. This movie was made in 1986 
and Rambo First Blood Part 2 had come out the previous year and had done some fun stuff with explosive tipped arrows. And uh, they were clearly riffing on that um, in the bits where they were doing that. And performing uh, the explosive effects decently. There's even a fairly well executed jump cut uh, where you know Mike, uh, the White Ninja, a good guy if you will, jumps uh, behind a, a barricade of some kind or behind barrels and then Mike Abbott shoots an arrow towards that and that explodes. And the cut is rather seamless actually. There's not a whole, mm-hmm. a big jump uh, where the barrels are like five centimeters to the left or whatever or and the shot changes like uh, uh it's a bit darker or, or too bright or anything so it's uh it's not a difficult technique but uh if you make it um convincing enough then you know job well done even big movies uh manage to mess up j- jump cuts like that so so good on them so all enjoyable i, I enjoyed the movie overall more than you i just think uh, that there's enough like five six dope instances of dubbing and content that makes me happy for a long stretch of time courtesy of filmark and then is my fascination with this era of taiwanese filmmaking i think she's quite good in the movie she's intense uh, the, the intensity that's required of it that helps me like it a lot more so i think uh, the, the parts doesn't they don't fit of course as movies together but um, I, I can separate them and sort of judge them on their own uh, on their own merits, and I think uh, that makes a uh, Def Code Ninja uh, quite enjoyable in my eyes. Well, that's what you get for messing with me. And uh, as for availability, I, I couldn't find a listing of it, but apparently there's a US DVD by BCI slash Eclipse uh, that's in all likelihood sourced from the Japanese VHS that was presented in widescreen. Yeah, so, and, and I can't say if this is authorized or not. Uh, I have a feeling it's not because. I do have that one, uh-huh. uh, or it was, part, it was part of a BCI set. Right. Um, it is widescreen. I don't believe, but there are no subtitles. Yeah, they probably masked those off because the, the original... It's entirely possible. Yeah, the Japanese VHS in this case had the uh, Japanese subtitles entirely in the black frame, so mm-hmm. rather than partly in the, uh, in the picture itself. And I, I don't know if you can call this authorized because I don't think you can sort of go back to the persons anymore who put out the original vhs and say hey we, we want to put this out on us dvds i think it's a little bit murky uh, you know uh, rights uh, rights wise but uh, if you it's the good and cheaper option i suppose if you can't find it uh, on original vhs and those tend to go for quite uh, quite amount of um, a big amount of uh, uh, when they're put out on uh, up on ebay and stuff like that and or japanese amazon so and uh, the widescreen presentation looks uh, looks okay, in an even splendid to a degree, in nice colors, and the film mark material often did when used for Japanese VHS, so um, that's a, always a, a plus, so we can sort of see the movie for what it is, and uh, if you're sitting around waiting for a 4K remaster of this one, well, be prepared to wait. <laughs> we're not gonna get anything akin to that uh, heck we're even we should be lucky that we even have you know mild or full widescreen sources sometimes of this stuff one of these days we're gonna get a blu-ray release of of, of like an ifd re- uh movie some somebody's got it somebody's got to do it somebody's got to spend the money it's the closest we've had to something being like okay that it's from a print and it's properly remastered for dvd was when a german company put out it's not a cut and paste movie but it was presented by ifd uh the movie angels with golden guns which is mm. like an indonesian or filipino uh, uh women in prison movie or women on a prison island movie 
And that was from a German cinema print, literally from a print, and it was remastered to a degree. So I imagine that's a case where, okay, if they still have the print, they could up that to 2K, perhaps, for a Blu-ray presentation, because it was out there, but it was not sourced from IFD, but rather the uh, original German cinema print was the basis for that one. But uh, it's possible, and uh, but uh, I haven't seen these cut and paste movies in that way i mean we've seen widescreen versions but and we've seen fairly clear dvd versions but often cropped i i believe that uh, at least ifd claims to offer them in 35 millimeter if you want them but they also offer beta cam copies and that's probably what most dvd manufacturers are using because they don't want to go through the expense and time of doing a 2k scan or something yeah i i can imagine that being the case because it's not an extensive market uh, and a market appeal for these movies if we're being no, very honest indeed. so uh, but uh you know maybe one day and i'll be happy to support but uh yeah in the meantime let's finish this particular show uh, on uh, golden ninja warrior and death coat ninja so this has been the golden ninja podcast on the podcast on fire network this show along with all our other options are, are available on podcastonfire.com email us if you have any questions or feedback or opinions on these particular movies uh, podcastonfire at googlemail.com join us over on social media click the handy buttons at the top of our website leading to facebook leading to twitter leading to our itunes feed as well so if you want to subscribe you can do so via the feed once you're there leave a star rating or even a written comment if you have something to say about the show and finally you can stream us on stitcher radio the button leads to their website presence but you can download applications from the apple app store and google play and stream us on the go that way and i write about uh, these type of uh, cut and paste movies but also taiwanese movies on their own and a variety of hong kong movies over at sogoodreviews.com and my basic video reviews are not non-award worthy <laughs> video reviews so uh, they're available that's, on- not, that's not true they're, they are absolutely award worthy they just they just not have yet they have not yet won one yeah, uh, maybe I'll win the uh, as of yet uh, created Golden Ninja Warrior Award for most time wasted with these movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, I, I do spoken audio re- reviews uh, over at sleazykvideo.com and my tweets are available. That's so good reviews. And on the other hand, he's, uh, like, like you even do HD, I don't even do HD for my stuff because, hey, it's only spoken audio. It's from SD sources. I, I don't even produce HD videos, but but you do over at Neon Harbor. So I want to give out a short plug again before we go. Sure. Um, you can find me, my films and web series, including Deja Vu, a series that highlights foreign ripoffs and remakes of popular Hollywood films, uh, and uh, Ninja the Mission Force, a uh, comedy action series that uh, spoofs uh, and is inspired by the kinds of cut and paste films we talked about on the show at neonharbor.com. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash neonharbor and on Twitter at twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor. Excellent, my friend. And uh, he was not in these movies. Uh, Richard Harrison, uh, well, he was partly in this movie. He had no dialogue, however. But if he had dialogue, he would probably say the following. I am the champion of the ninjas. (laughs) 